We're getting in the mood.
it's quite hard to exist. And if I think publishing industry, for, for instance, so COVID, of course, um, as horrible as it was, it kind of treated the whole crafting business well. And since then, uh, plenty of things have happened. And when I think of publishing books, like we, it's our pride to actually print books, paper books. So uh, the paper price, for instance, during the past 18 months, it has gone up by 80%, which means like, um, well, it has been a struggle and it has, from us, it has uh, demanded that we read things very differently and we haven't wanted to increase the price, nor to our stockists, wholesalers, or customers. So what we've done, we've taken the hit and trying to find other mechanisms to survive. Of course, one is to cooperate and remain and retain good relationships with so many people as possible. And uh, yeah, and for us, uh, one way to survive has been to try to produce more. But the paper Paper price increase has only been like one of the factors. Of course, uh, at one point, like less than a year ago, there was a huge shortage on paper. And sometimes we had to wait weeks, sometimes even months, to get the right paper that we wanted. And then not to mention shipping costs that have gone up at least by 40%. And inflation people clearly uh, it's it's very visible at least to Europeans at the moment and I, I think to everyone that uh, we don't have that much money to spend anymore so it's it's harder to make business but then again even though it's hard it gives great joy to you know share this situation with fellow leaders, fellow companies, yeah. So my side of the industry is pattern writing and self-publishing. I, um, the biggest change that I noticed in the past few years and probably at the same time with COVID was a noticeable shift in the way leaders want to learn. They want how they want to learn to knit and how they want to live the experience of knitting a pattern. Um, I haven't yet adapted completely to this change, um, but that doesn't mean that I haven't noticed it. Um, I have noticed a bigger demand of video support that I don't uh, offer for my patterns. My patterns have a PDF format, have always been the same format. Um, I rely on the confidence that my my business always um, reaches my, my customer base. So um, I, I'm not going to say that I'm not actively looking for new business, but I don't have that worry. I, I am very interested in taking care of my already existing customer base and catering to what they are looking for. But um, of course, as business people, we, we should always 
be observant of what the community wants. After COVID, I noticed that a lot of people learned to live during this time, and so they got used to a lot of videos, a lot of tutorials, a lot of designers who actually um, offer uh, segments explaining a technique and uh, a little bit more hand-holding than just the written format that I am used to. And it's understandable. It's like when our kids started going to school with um, online learning and then suddenly online learning becomes such an important part of their education, right? So I think that the same happened with meters. I'm trying to see how I could incorporate this new demand or this new need in a way that doesn't overwhelm me, that it's useful without changing what I like to do. I like to read and write and I like to communicate in written form, but I also feel like if we don't pay attention to what people are actually needing and, and looking for, then we're just losing out on um, customers and, and fellow leaders and opportunities. Super quick, because I know we have a lot to talk about, but when it comes to pattern writing, um, you know, we just had an episode on the podcast where we talked all about pricing, and you're seeing more content be delivered with these patterns. Um, how do you think we as a community that purchases these patterns can support these designers who should probably be raising their prices if they're creating extra content? Yes. Um that is a complicated topic. I also, I always say that if you reach more people, you can sell better a product that takes only a certain amount of time to make, right? So if your product is really excellent, if your product is really flawless, appealing, hip, um, I don't know, something that people really want to make, then more people will uh, buy this pattern and then you, with the same effort, you will have more income. This is not a topic that is only relevant for pattern writing, it's relevant for any product. Not always raising your product price leads to more income. Sometimes you have to find the perfect balance there. Perhaps you think that, okay, I normally sell 10 copies of this pattern and so I should raise my prices because my minimum income should be whatever. But then you lose those 10 sales and then you have less income. So I am not probably the person who needs to talk about pattern pricing because I think that it has to do with your audience and that is different for each pattern designer. It has to do with what you need, like how much time it takes me versus how much time it takes any of all the other designers here. Right? We all have different um, times and uh, maybe someone can put out two patterns a month and some other can put only two patterns a year. Um, I do think that as designers we need to make our product have a good value. I don't believe that we uh, should you know, just give away our work because who cares, uh, we're not making something valuable enough. Yes, I am a big defender of getting paid what we what is fair, and I have had my patterns for sale ever since I, I designed something that I thought other leaders would want to make. Um, but at the same time, I think it's a very complex topic that has to do with 
economy, and yeah. that is not my forte. Yeah. Yeah. Well, much like Yuna, we make it started as a podcast and magazine um, almost 10 years ago. And I think through COVID, we experienced the same thing. And I looked at what we were doing and the business and kind of where the industry was going and where we wanted to be in the industry and realized that while we love print, we love magazines, we, it was an exceptionally hard decision to not do that anymore. We realized that what we wanted to do was be a part of a different part of the industry. And my background, uh, thankfully, I have been in tech for 15 years running product for different companies, large and small, at startups and felt really comfortable kind of taking off on that new direction for making. Um, and what I, you know, the idea for making app came actually back in like 2013. And I, over the last seven years of doing the magazine, considered it like user research and kind of seeing like what is it that makers want? What is it that, you know, the industry, the direction that it's going in and how we can adapt and change. And that is the biggest thing that came out of the last four years for us was when you're faced with challenges, whether it's COVID, whether it's you know personal hardship, whatever it is, your ability to adapt and change is how you're going to survive and your acceptance of it, I think too, because the acceptance of it is how you continue to find joy in what you're doing because you're actually going through, it's really hard. It's really hard what's happened the last four years, but let's not even say the last four years. Let's say just like, however long we've been in business, business is hard. And we have to often find the joy of ourselves, even though coming to places like this and you know, communicating with customers and, and creating the product brings us joy. It's very lonely. And funny enough, we've all had conversations this weekend and how, how it is lonely. It does feel lonely. And sometimes you feel like you are kind of in the silo doing what you do and even though we're all friends, it's like how do you know that they can relate to something that you're going through? But that goes back to being seen, which is something that I talk a lot about um, within crafting, within kind of just humanity. Our biggest desire is to have belonging and be seen. And as makers, I think that's how we all find that in our lives because we all can relate on kind of that common ground. And so coming back to change, um, that is, I think that's the most important thing is just recognizing that accepting it and adapting and trying to find joy in it. And that comes through connection with other people. I love that. Imagine working with her every day. I clap a lot. Okay. Um, so you are all experts in each of your fields. That's why you're sitting here uh, and you have your ear to the ground. What are some areas in the industry that are ripe with opportunity? It's me again? Yeah. We can switch it up if we want. No, it's good. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity to collaborate. This is something that I really, really want to do all the time. Um, within my own company, we collaborate between departments, we cross train, 
So I have people who work in post and pre-production for dyeing the yarn who know how to work on my sales team. I have my support team who knows how to go downstairs and do yarn prep, tagging. Um, in French, we call that being polyvalent. I guess the equivalent of multitasking. And I like want to apply this beyond my business. And I want to work with designers, especially like in the collaborative books that I've written. I want to bring designers together who may not know each other and collaborate them, give them opportunities to know each other, use my yarn, and push them forward. Um, I think, yeah, that's for me the number one is collaboration. Yeah, I totally agree with Amy that uh, unless, unless there wasn't any collaboration, none of us would probably wouldn't probably exist. Then, then what I keep off me hearing and here too when I've been standing at our booth, so people come to me and, and they are rather surprised that the knitting companies will really collaborate. We do business together. We quite a few I have never felt any competition. I don't want to compete. Uh, I feel I've always felt that the more people come into this wonderful world of knitting crafting, the more we all benefit from it. Whether it's financial beneficial you know, benefit financially, but mostly like mentally making friends, making something far more important. But if I think if I think publishing what is like what I need to be searching for for like in year 2024 so maybe ai is one of the biggest things that AI. yeah that we really need to that we don't we have to embrace it we don't we can't take it that it's a no-no we really need to embrace because technique is here to help us and once we get out for instance our work process is more fluent then it gives us time more time to actually create to offer you something i don't know more fun more functionable more something but it's i think it's a mentality in in for instance in my 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 business and in my company that you know, crack the opportunities. Don't think that things are challenges. They are, or obstacles. They are, you know, my motto has always been, how hard can it be? You, you know, you find your solutions. Yeah, Yona and I and Ashley yesterday, we've been talking about this. Um, I have zero knowledge of AI. Um, I do, I do have had some experience with it. I use it for some parts of my work, especially GPT, um, for like bouncing off ideas or brainstorming in a more efficient way, especially. So I'm basically talking to myself and like hearing back what I'm telling GPT, but in a different way, I'm like, wow, that's really clever. <laughs> um, what, I'm, I mean, I've been, and reading and hearing a lot of uh, good things and bad things about AI, especially in our creative world, it's kind of fear because we know that there's a lot of theft of uh, the work from artists 
and that is obviously because it's been taken to train these AI uh, motors and um, yeah, I don't know enough to say something clever about it, but I know it's controversial. But what I do want to say is that there is a fantastic way to use AI in which, as Jona said, help us, helps us work in a more efficient and creative way with our own, with our own uh, intelligence, with our own features, with our own ideas, with our own style. And I am sure that, um, that there's some, some way in which I can incorporate AI to my design maybe to streamline some parts of the grading process by teaching some software how I do it or how I want it done. Of course, supervising results, but I mean, wouldn't it be amazing? We know that there's currently no software. That can, I know no software can replace my brain, at least, the way I grade, there's no such thing. But what if I could train a software to do what I do or to do something else, some new original idea that I have um, I just think that this is something that is here to stay in the world and that if I want to be ahead and, and have, you know, embrace the opportunities, that's something that I need to be looking forward to. Yes, yes to all that. Um, I was actually thinking maybe that's one of our follow-up topics that we talk about is specifically AI in process. Uh, I won't go too deeply into it here, but um, I would... Last year, I worked for a while with a company that had 40 portfolio startups. And one of my key parts of my job was integrating AI into workflow processes to create like efficiency and in ways that aren't replicating creativity or taking the innovation or ingenuity out of what we do, but actually optimizing it so that you know the pricing conversation that we were having, if you can do what you're doing, faster, better, you know, create an economy of scale through something like that, we shouldn't be afraid of it. But I think that that's a really big topic and AI is kind of lumped together as one um, kind of name, but AI is actually a lot of things and there's many different types and ways to use it. And so I think that that, yeah, is a great follow-up question. But there's two things that I think there's opportunity um, in the industry. I, I think there's many but kind of going from like a high level. The one is, the first one is children in art. Um, and this kind of has to do with AI. So over the last, I, I'm not gonna fact check here, but over the last, you know, ever since industrial revolution, there's been a push um, in schools towards uh, working on STEM, like specifically STEM related um, topics, and they have taken art out of schools. Many public schools are not, do not have funded art programs. And so the art programs that we grew up with in school no longer exist in school. And thankfully, there are some amazing champions that have gone into schools uh, in many different places and created art programs. But what has happened is that art is not accessible to kids. And that, the, I will also not name names, but some of the biggest billionaires that fund some of the most companies um, in the world recently got together and had a conversation that the one thing that AI will never replicate is our creative footprint, our, the, the fingerprint that we put on um, and, and the thing that it can't replace your brain. And so there's a crisis that we are going to face, I believe, 
with AI, where it's going to create so much, so much efficiency, but we've trained this machine of school and education with kids, where they do not have the opportunity to foster that creativity, um, to then have a launching point into something um, that is uniquely them as they get older. And so I think a huge place for opportunity, and this is not something we're necessarily tackling, but I just want people to think about and see, look like locally in their schools, can they go teach knitting? Like I started teaching knitting at my kid's school, um, and I'm really grateful to have the art teacher at the school become one of my really close friends of mine. And we talk a lot about this. And so is there opportunity in your business to create some sort of tools for parents who don't feel like artists, don't feel like makers, to kind of create this, um, you know, foster this artistic environment with their kids or, or, or have that? Because art, as we all know, is therapy. Um, making is therapy. And kids need that, especially after what we've gone through, um, you know, this last four years. So. That's my soapbox on that. If there's anything you can do to help, um, like not going after the adult crafters, but creating environments that foster creativity for kids, that's the number one. Um, and the number two is, I think, acceptance. Globally, in all the different spaces that we are, it's really important to have an attitude of acceptance to one another. We don't know what each other's going through. Um, and when you were talking about collaborating, when I hear that, what I hear is allowing yourself to be seen and seeing other people so that there's space and, and freedom to collaborate. And so acceptance of, and not blocking yourself off, um, you know, I think it's really important uh, because we are all different and we may feel differently about each other, and many of us only know each other from online. Uh, but that is not who we really are. Uh, and so getting to know one another, being vulnerable, and kind of putting yourself out there, that is actually the foundation to be able to do all the things that we've talked about, which is uh, collaborate and connect and stuff like that. What would be your biggest piece of advice for businesses of all sizes? that might be facing challenges. My first advice is introduce yourself. Do what you love, because as Holly said, there's no one replacing your brain. I feel there's no one who can replace, in a way, my brain. So I need to do things or, you know, trust my instincts. And the other one, I just had it in my mind and then, you know, you don't want to yes, you again, maybe. It comes back to me. <laughs> what do you think? Um, so I thought about this, and um, I've actually been facing some creative challenges lately, and I didn't know what to do, I didn't know who to go to, and I talked to my friends about this, and I've been working with a life coach lately, and um, it has really, really helped me. And I think that the most important thing that I talked to him about was, um, like eye-opening was set a goal. What is your goal? Like one, one goal, um, you know, an achievable, an achievable goal. I don't know if you have heard of smart goals, but a smart goal. And um, and I think that many of us, when we uh, have our, our businesses for some time and get into a groove, and you know, we we 
we do well, we do well, we work, you know, we keep pushing forward, but, you know, we're on that train, sometimes we lose focus and we don't know where we want that train to go, and sometimes, you know, it doesn't mean that it has to be, that it doesn't mean that it will happen as soon as you visualize it, right? But it, when you visualize what you're, where you're going to and what your goal is, then um, it's easier to take steps to that, so that, that would be my my good advice that didn't come from my brain but from my coach <laughs> and that is what I'm, I meant, meant to say that business because you know you constantly as a creative person you get these ideas you could do this you could do that you could do that and that and that but the main thing is to stay focused and concentrate and realize that you can't do all of these things at the same time that you need to have the patience this idea, which is a good idea, I might have time to work on that idea in three years, but not now. Setting up goals which are achievable at the moment, but never ever stop dreaming and dream big. Lately I've been thinking I want to do everything and nothing at the same time. And I've recently figured out why I've been feeling like this is because I don't set boundaries for myself. I work a lot. Um, during my keynote speech, I told that I would work seven days a week. So I started setting new rules for myself. I don't work on the weekends. I don't take my computer home. Um, after I got back from tour, I also decided that I'm not gonna go into the office every day. I'm gonna work two days from home, three days in the office and I set boundaries for myself and all of my collaborators that work with me. I come to work on Wednesday, my first day back in the office. It is called a no appointment day. That means nobody gets to set an appointment with me because I'm coming back into my office to work, to have unstructured time for myself so I can find my creativity again. So I think the most important thing is to set boundaries for yourself and to be able to say no to yourself and say like, no, you're doing too much and that's been really helpful for me. Yes, so you, we had a conversation about this actually, and uh, so I think challenges come in lots of different forms. There can be like financial challenges, there can be personal challenges like creativity, um, you know, logistical, all that, and so there's a lot of different approaches, and, and I think we all could probably speak equally on each of those topics for a long time, but, you know, Amy, when you, you and I had a conversation, I don't know, quite a while ago, where you mentioned that to me. And I remember walking away from that and saying, you know what, Mondays are, I, no, Mondays are mine now. I'm taking Mondays back. And historically, I never liked Mondays because you had to kind of hit the ground running, you know? But being able to kind of create that space, create that boundary, if you can, is really great. So I just wanted to echo that. But I think when you face a challenge, I think the number one thing that I always go to is thinking about where my heart is at first. And sometimes it might not be in the thing that I'm doing anymore. And so I think the first thing is stepping back and being okay with saying, this isn't the thing that I want to do anymore, or I don't want to do it this way anymore. And that's a really scary thing to face. Uh, but I do think 
that's part of creating boundaries. It's part of stepping back and kind of looking at like what you're doing and deciding, okay, is this still true to who I am? Do I want to continue forward? And that's aligned with when you were talking about goals. You know, is this something I still want to do? Yes, like assign a goal to it and go after that. But the second thing is therapy. And you know, you're talking about life coaching. I think a lot of life coaches can kind of edge on therapists as well. Um, I can't speak even enough of what therapy has done in my life. Um, and it's not just about you know working through things. Often it's about feeling seen in those lonely times. And so I'll follow that up with find someone, find someone to talk to, find someone so that you're not alone as you go through challenges and that you're that you can feel vulnerable with. And so I don't know, there's been a common thread of what I've been saying, but I that really comes from my personal experience. We are in such a heart-led industry. Britt said that in one of the podcasts, so I will not bad Britt and taking your words and reusing them. But as makers, we put so much love into each stitch. And as business owners, it's that times, I don't know how many, big a number, right? So having the North Star and always going back to it, but also giving back to yourself is so important. So. I'm so glad that you are all here. Thank, thank you, you so much. So much. Thank you. And thank you all. If you have any like follow-up questions or you would like some of these lovely people to chat about a certain topic on our podcast, send me an email, janetmakingco.com, or find me on Instagram or the making app at Nick Pearl. And thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of the time here at Vogue Knitting Life. Thank you, everybody.